I'm thrilled to have on the line with me Patrice Unwuka. She is the Senior Policy Analyst with the Independent Women's Forum. And we're going to talk about a couple of different uh, pieces that she has recently uh, written, uh, some op-eds. The first one is regarding plastic bag bans. So Patrice Unwuka, welcome to the AmeriChicks. Uh, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to, to join your show. Uh, it's always a great conversation. And uh, you have been busy since the last time you were on. I was going through <laughs> and looking at all of the different important subjects out there. If people want to see what you're writing about, you can go, they can go to Independent Women's Forum. And it's Patrice Unwuka. That's O-N-W-U-K-A. And uh, you really take these these issues, you make them uh, concise, give a lot of clarity to them, and... Uh, this plastic ban, uh, plastic bag ban, has me really, really concerned. So let's jump in here. Uh, you'd written this piece, published it on April 4th, and you say banning plastic bans in New York won't save the environment, but could make people sicker. So let's talk about that first premise there, that they won't save the environment. Tell us about that, Patrice. Well, New York uh, is the second state behind California to now ban plastic bag use. Um, these are plastic bags that you would get at grocery stores or um, some some kind of takeout places. And their goal is to try to reduce the amounts of the environmental footprint that plastic bans uh, generate. Unfortunately, though, you know, plastic bans are not the biggest source of, of waste and, and environmental danger. Um, and, and unfortunately, you know, while it's, it's important to be uh, environmentally friendly, some of the alternatives are not necessarily any better, especially when you consider um, that, uh, you know, they, they're, they're not particularly um not particularly harmful to sewers or, or even the, um, the water systems that I, I think folks consider them to be. Well, and they call them single-use plastic bags. But in fact, I know that people use uh, their, their grocery bags for a lot of things. Absolutely. I certainly reuse my plastic uh, grocery bags to store dirty diapers. I have a four-month-old, and boy, oh, boy, uh, is it good to be able to tie a plastic bag and keep all of the odors within that. So, you know, this idea that you know, these single-use plastic bags are, you know, not environmentally friendly really isn't true. When you consider a, a brown paper bag, for example, you're less likely to be able to get a second use out of that type of bag. And so, you know, it, it's, it seems like on the, its face a good environmentally friendly idea, but then when you dig a little bit deeper, you find out that there are some unintended consequences. Well, and uh, in the New York's law, there's carve-outs uh, and a bunch of them. Uh, what are some of those? Oh, absolutely. So, um, you know, if you are getting uh, your using a plastic bag to put your deli meats in, those are going to be uh, carved out. Garment bags are, are carved out. Any sort of big bulk items that you might get in a plastic bag, uh, even bags sold separately for recycling and trash, those are all carved out of this. This is really just looking at those convenience store bags, those small, those grocery store bags. And if you think about it, a lot of those other smaller use plastic bags probably also generate a fair amount of, of waste, um, and they may not be as, uh, as likely to be recycled. I mean, how many people will recycle a garbage bag that's been used once? <laughs> so, so you know, it's it's just uh, you could see you could see that there are uh, probably some interests at work, and then this idea that you're trying to be environment, environmentally friendly when you're really not being. Well, and the other thing about you know bringing your bags, your uh, those reusable bags, uh, you take them home, they get germs on them. You bring them back into the grocery store with all these germs on it, it seems to me like it's not very sanitary. 
Well, yeah. I mean, how many times have you washed your your reusable biodegradable bag? I mean, probably not very many times. Very often we go to the grocery store, we use it once, and we chuck it away in a, a cabinet or in the back of the car, the trunk car. Uh, the car's trunk so that when you go back to the grocery store, you use it again. And that's fine and dandy. But imagine all of the germs from uh, meat, uh, vegetables that are you know cross, being cross-contaminated but still staying within that, that bag. So, you know, unfortunately, uh, one study in San Francisco found that uh, these the, the plastic band bag, the plastic band bag, a band bag, I'm saying. <laughs> it's hard to say, I know. <laughs> it's hard to say. But that ban on plastic bags and the use of reusable bags can actually contribute to 5.5 more deaths every year. Why? Because, again, you're talking about contamination um, from, you know, foodborne illnesses. And so that's something that's worrisome. Now you can eliminate that threat if you're able to wash those bags on a regular basis. But how many consumers do that? Well, and if you wash those bags, it actually, uh, you have to heat the water. You know, there's electricity. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's nothing that is perfect out there. Um, But banning plastic bags, okay, you... you know, you have a baby, you mentioned that, and, you know, you're busy. You, you're a mom, you get to the store, maybe you forgot the bags, they're, you're, the, um, your reusable bags, they're in the car. I, I actually really see this as an assault on convenience for everyday, hardworking Americans as they go to the grocery store to get their, their goods, to take them home, to cook, and to take care of their family. I know that's kind of out there a little bit, but that's what I see, Patrice. Well, and there's some really interesting historic history behind how plastic bags were developed as a really good alternative even to paper bags, but even before that, other ways of transporting your goods home. Uh, I, I think it's been a market development. Uh, consumers have definitely benefited from the use of plastic bags, and now you have state governments picking winners and losers among how we transport our goods um, from here to there. You know, I think that there is uh, there's really no... Uh, serious uh, threat or, or serious rationale for why the government should be trying to ban certain types of bags over others. There, there's no suffocation uh, threat. There's no threat that they are killing people. Uh, on the other hand, we see that reusable bags can be harmful. So, you know, I think it's a, a, another way of governments trying to, the nanny state, trying to control our choices as, as consumers. And we should have more choice. We should be able to choose between paper, plastic, both, or something else, not be forced to, to take this ban uh, or to, to follow this ban. And I'll add that California actually snuck a little provision in there where if, uh, if certain counties want to continue to give out plastic bags, they have to pay a little bit of a fine to do so. So, you know, uh, it, it's like a 5% fee on any paper bags that a, a, that a county decides to use. So it's a way of saying, okay, well, we're going to prefer paper over plastic, and we're going to make a little bit of money on top of this. And I, and I do think, Kim, that what you see with a lot of these plastic band bags is a revenue raiser for out-of-control spending at state and local levels. Well, and you know, the other thing about it is think about the manpower for the the vendor, for the grocery store. They have to hire yeah. somebody or they have to have a bookkeeper that's going to keep track of all this. You know, sometimes I really look at this and I'm like, I think it's really wrong that we have to make um, vendors and, you know, private enterprise 
you know, pay to collect these taxes. In essence, they're working for the government to collect these taxes, but they have to incur the cost to bring on these bookkeepers to keep track of all this. If they don't do it correctly, I'm sure that there's fines and penalties that are in many of these laws. It seems really, like you say, it's like big government out of control. It is. Um, and and it, unfortunately, this is the, the state of California, a very blue state, one that tends to lead in these types of, um, of of controlling day-to-day activities of our lives. But don't be surprised if you see this pop up in other states. Now, this shouldn't be a surprise to folks in Washington, D.C., in this area where I live. Uh, the city Washington, D.C. has banned plastic baggies for a while. Other cities um, have certainly either banned them or attached a, a, a fee to them. So if you you know, use a plastic bag, they'll charge you five cents. Uh, we've seen these these pop up for quite a while, but this is the first, the second time we're seeing an entire state do this. And California tends to be a bellwether for other uh, left, uh, leftist progressive states um, on the coast, east and west coast. So don't be surprised if you continue to see things like this pop up. Well, and ultimately, uh, I think that there really are some health risks. I remember when there was this real movement to no longer wash your sheets and towels in hot water. Just use warm water. And then the next thing you know, there's a whole bunch of bed bugs. You know, we have these, uh, and it was several years ago. And it seems to me that that's kind of disappeared because I think that hotels have gone back to washing their sheets in hot water. And so you, you know, have this pressure to, quote unquote, help the environment. And in essence... Uh, it, it actually makes things less healthy for everyday hardworking Americans. Mm-hmm. Well, there is always an unintended unintended consequence to every uh, policy solution, and it, it may sound like a good idea. Uh, but very often it's driven by one particular interest trying to uh, get get over on another one. Uh, and, and unfortunately, consumers are the ones who end up losing out in the in the long run. Well, and Patrice, we're going to go to break here in just a moment. But Colorado, we have a legislature that um, really want to be California wannabes. And uh, and so we're seeing uh, across the spectrum here this push for plastic bag bans out here in Colorado. You're seeing it happen in municipalities. But there's also some legislation that is going through Colorado regarding net neutrality. And, um, you know, a free and and fair Internet sounds pretty exciting, and that's what we want. Uh, And net neutrality opines that that's what it's going to be, but not so fast. So let's go to break. When we come back, I'd like to chat with you about this other very important uh, op-ed that you did, and that is uh, is, uh, the title, Three Reasons Congress Should Not Bring Back Obama-Era Net Neutrality, but we have legislation out here in Colorado that wants to do that for our state. So this is Kim Munson uh, with the AmeriChicks. I'm talking with Patrice Anwuka. She is the senior policy analyst with the Independent Women's Forum. We'll be right back. Patrice Anwuka. Uh, she is the senior policy analyst for the Independent Women's Forum. And uh, she takes on the important issues out there, is able to drill down, bring clarity to them, and make a very concise uh, comments on that. And so let's talk a little bit about this piece that you did uh, earlier in April. Three reasons Congress should not bring back Obama era new net, net, I can't say it, net neutrality. <laughs> <laughs> so Patrice, this is very, very important. Uh, so tell us what is net neutrality? I think people have a difficult time understanding that. Okay, so net neutrality is basically the idea that the Internet should operate freely and open, you know, unencumbered um, and with full competition. Uh, you should be able to get online, be able to, you know, pay for a faster download speed if you want and not have your, your website 
slow down uh, because a company wants to charge you more or whatever the case is. Uh, generally, though, I think everyone agrees, yeah, we want a free and open Internet. However, in 2015, the Federal Communications Commission under President Obama's uh, administration, they used this idea of a free and open Internet to seize power uh, from the Federal Trade Commission. So the FCC trying to take over from the FTC to really control and regulate broadband companies, your Verizons, your, uh, your, any of those Internet providers. And so this is really important because it became a, a backdoor way for federal government to then be able to determine what how broadband providers deliver uh, the, their uh, services to us. And it had some really bad consequences. Now, let's just take a step back and remember, you know, before 2015, the Internet developed just fine. You could still get online. You didn't have to worry about any sort of anti-competitive behavior. So the question is, well, why did we need net neutrality anyway? Uh, and, and unfortunately, what you saw was a, a really interesting narrative painted by celebrities like Alyssa Milano and, and um and uh, John Oliver, you know, claiming that the internet would uh, would stop if net neutrality was repealed. Thankfully, the Trump administration did repeal on net neutrality. And guess what? The very next day, the internet worked just as normal. <laughs> And that's because we've always had a free and open Internet, and we will continue to do so. We just don't need those extra government regulations. Well, and so you have three important points here. Uh, you said that repealing net neutrality made the Internet faster. Instead of the Internet dying, it got faster. Tell us. <laughs> it did. So when you looked at the Internet speeds nationally, we went from the 12th fastest in the world to the 6th fastest in the world. And that was after net neutrality was repealed. I think it's because companies, you know, with, without those added regulations on their back, they were able to really invest in ensuring that broadband uh, Internet access was uh, continuing to be competitive and fast. And, and that really bodes well for all of us as users and even as small business owners and, 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 and big companies that utilize the internet to sell goods and services. Okay, and you also say your second point repealing net neutrality boosted investments in expanding internet access to more Americans. Yeah. I mean, when you consider that it's it's really it's cheap to be able to in, invest in broadband internet. You know, uh, companies that that expand, put in lines, and, and what all, all the infrastructure that's needed here in, in really densely populated areas. The challenge is rural America. You know, flyover America, where you know it, it's really expensive because there's so there there are fewer people to be able to pay for their services, and so. After inter the net neutrality was passed in 2015, you saw broadband companies pull back on investing in creating and, and expanding Internet to places like rural America. That's that kind of unintended consequence we really don't want to see. So thankfully, after that repeal, I think we've started to see investments begin to increase. Okay. And your third point, net neutrality wasn't needed to begin with. You said that net neutrality, of which uh, the Obama administration put in in 2015, was a solution in search of a problem. Yeah. 
I mean, some of the rationale behind net neutrality was that there was some sort of anti-competitive behavior going on uh, where broadband companies were trying to lock out or, or, or impede content, you know, videos, movies, uh, website access uh, from social media companies and other online businesses. But there was really no demonstrated examples of that. And so really it was just a, a backdoor way for, you know, a, 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 an administration that certainly likes to regulate industry to do so. Well, and interestingly enough, uh, like Facebook, Amazon, Google, all of those companies, I remember seeing that they were out there in favor of net neutrality. And so let's fast forward. Back in 2015, they they were for net neutrality. Then I saw that they were, uh, as you mentioned, John uh, Oliver and Alyssa Milano were saying the Internet's going to die if, in fact, net neutrality is repealed. That didn't happen. Actually, there was more investment in net uh, in that internet in the internet as well as uh, speeds got faster but these companies facebook amazon google i mean i am now having personal experience with them um you know controlling voices and so here oh we're, we're saying and well one of the things on that was a couple of things i had uh, done a book review uh, for uh, Laura Carno regarding her book that government ruins nearly everything and uh, it was basically I just said I differed with her I, I agreed with her on an issue I just looked at it a little bit differently and that was regarding government coming in and redefining words and if you don't agree with that redefinition then using the power of government to take away your business or take away your opportunity I thought it seemed reasonable comment and Amazon mm-hmm. would not post my my uh, book review interestingly enough so my oh, point wow. my point here is is these people that say they want free fair and open uh, and were uh, supporting net neutrality in essence they are shutting down voices over there so we want to make sure that that the, that the internet stays uh, open and free and so we do not want net neutrality your comment yeah, I, I think that's right. I, I think the, the concern that Internet companies had is that they would have uh, broadband companies would start to develop content that would compete with their content. So, you know, your Facebooks and your your um, your Amazons are worried that your Verizon Wireless or your Verizons will start to, to produce content, social media platforms or um, shopping experiences that would be competitive, would be a, a direct com- competition. And because they're both providing the Internet and the, the, the content, then they would have some sort of leg up on the competition. I, I mean, I think we all want to see, you know, full competition because that benefits us as consumers. We get better products, faster services delivered to us. And so, you know, I think there's a lot of misinformation that flew around on uh, 2015 and 2017, especially as the repeal of net neutrality came up. I mean, I, I heard, I saw a headline about Pornhub, um, you know, saying that your 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 downloading porn will be fat, will, will be slow. It will slow. To a crawl because net neutrality was repealed. And I'm pretty sure the very next day after it was repealed, people still got access to the to their website, that website as just as quickly as before. So, you know, we we have to be careful about when uh, the companies are choosing sides, um, but really getting down to the basic question of is this a purview of government 
doesn't need added regulation. And by the way, the repeal of net neutrality doesn't mean we have no Internet regulations. It just returns that that oversight to the Federal Trade Commission, which is where it needed to be, before, where, where it was before and where it needs to be. They are really the federal cop on the beat, and, um, and, I'm, and I'm glad that we've returned that power back to them. Okay, so thank you for shedding light on this. It's important to understand that because we have legislation that's being uh, worked through the House here in Colorado to uh, repeal net neutrality, um, or, or excuse, excuse me, to support net neutrality here in Colorado. So let's keep an eye on that. Mm-hmm. We've got just a few minutes. Uh, your most recent piece uh, in the Independent Women's Forum is Michelle Obama's silly Trump joke reinforces negative stereotypes about divorced dads. And I guess this came out this morning, so I haven't had a chance to read it. What's going <laughs> on here? Oh, my. So recently, Michelle Obama, she's promoting her book. Uh, which is just fine, but she wanted to take a quick shot at President Trump's uh, leadership, and he, she in essence said that America is in a bad place. The parents are divorced, and now America is like staying at, your da- at the divorced dad's house where it's all fun and there are no rules. That's in essence what she was saying. And, you know, listen, politics aside, in her opinion of President Trump's presidency aside, um, what she did was really insult dads, divorced fathers, by perpetuating this, this stereotype that if you're a divorced father, or really any dad out there, that you are an oaf, that you are an ex, and that you can't run a household that takes care of children. And I think that's a slap in the face to so many dads out there, you know, who are the sole um, caregivers for their kids, you know, who are invested in, sure, in ensuring that their kids succeed, and who are really indispensable in the lives of their kids. Well, and so you had three quick reasons. You said uh, why Michelle's Obama's joke is wrong. First of all, dads are not all goofballs, right? They're not. I mean, we've seen the TV dad who's typically, you know, uh, fumbling over, trying to be a good dad. Uh, the, wool, the kids pull the wool over his eyes every week. Um, and, you know, he's just inept. But that, that's it. that is so, so ridiculous because so many dads are great fathers. They take fantastic care of their kids. And so, you know, to, to assume that just because you're a divorced dad, you can't, you can't run a, a good household. I, I don't know who thinks that way, but unfortunately, former Lady Michelle Obama does. Wow. And dads are critical to kids' success, right? Oh, my goodness. The outcomes that we've seen when kids do not have a, a father in their household, it's, it's, it's amazing. Kids suffer in school. They fall into uh, to, to truancy issues. They, they get into the criminal justice system early. You know, they shouldn't even be there to begin with, but they tend to fall there. Girls especially become vulnerable to uh, sexual predators and violent uh, relation, sexually violent relationships, sometimes even at the hands of, a, of the new boyfriend in their mother's life. So when a father is absent, that has a direct impact on the outcomes for kids. Well, and Michelle Obama really, her comments um, played right into this uh, sexism conversation out there. Oh, my goodness. How sexist is it to say that a mom, a woman is a better parent than a dad? I mean, I think we've hopefully moved beyond the point of understanding that, you know, moms and dads take on different roles. And increasingly, we're seeing more fathers stay at home to take care of their children. We're seeing more fathers step up. So to, to just assume that because a, a, a man is, in, is taking care of the kids that, you know, they're going to be eating pizza and candy every day, they're not going to have a bedtime, and they may, be, they may not even brush their teeth or take a shower, I think that's backwards looking in it, and it really 
does a disservice to how society is embracing men taking on more household and child-rearing um, responsibilities. Well, Patrice Anwuka, I just love the pieces that you publish in the Independent Women's Forum. Thank you so much. I recommend that people check that out. And what is your website? Oh, simple. IWF.org. Okay, that's IWF.org. So, Patrice Anwuka, thank you so much for joining me. This was a great conversation.